0: scripture reader comes from, from Mark 7, verses 24 through 40. From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child laying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by the way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee. They brought him a deaf man who had an impediment of his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private away from the crowd and put his fingers to, into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, That's it. Be open. And immediately his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even
1: makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Church, will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I'm going to focus mostly on the first story that was read of the woman of a Gentile origin, and I would argue that this is one of the most difficult texts in the Gospels to wrestle with. There are plenty of difficult to understand parts of the Bible, things that we struggle to understand in their original context and what they say to our own, but among them, this, I think, is one of the toughest because Jesus seems exclusionary, cranky, and even downright rude, and despite this, the writers of two different Gospels thought that the story was important enough to include in their recounting of Jesus's ministry. There are a lot of different interpretations of this text out there, most of which rely on Jesus's divinity to explain the interaction. That is. They mostly all say that Jesus's comments were intentional and maybe not even rude at all. Some say it's a way of marking Jesus's transition from ministry to Jews only to ministry to everyone. Or they say he was testing the woman's faith by insulting her before healing her child. Or they say that he is praiseworthy for offering healing to her daughter even though she is a Gentile, an outsider. I find that all of these make me at least a little uncomfortable, though, because all of these explanations, I think, don't really account for why Jesus has to be so very rude to this woman. This Jesus, the person who calls people dogs, just doesn't really track with the Jesus I usually follow. Despite that that discomfort, this story was following me around this summer. I spent my summer as a hospital chaplain, and I had to do a lot of writing about my experience and my theology in light of it. And somehow, I kept returning to this story, using it as the basis for theological reflection on the suffering, transformation, and hope that I was a part of. The Gospel story tells us that this woman's daughter, her little daughter, was ill, or maybe had never been fully well in the first place. Something was happening with her that the text calls an unclean spirit, but could have been anything that we might think of as a mental health crisis, or a seizure disorder, or really anything that the folks writing the story could not explain. They just thought that it wasn't right. And this girl's mother felt desperate about it. She needed her daughter to be healed, to be healthy, and she had exhausted her options and nearly exhausted her hope for a different future. I'm sure that Jesus can see that desperation in her. After all, we all know when someone is begging us for help. But Jesus tells her that he can't help. He refuses her. And he refuses her in maybe the rudest way possible by saying that she does not deserve the help she was asking for, does not deserve to hope for a new and different future because she was too different from him. Does she turn away, accepting that this teacher has called her and her daughter unworthy? No, she continues to hold on to her hope in the face of disappointment, dismissal, and hopelessness. She hopes, and Jesus, human enough to learn from her, Jesus realizes that the fixed categories that they are operating in, Jew and Gentile, those categories that cause him to turn her away at first don't need to apply. She hopes and they connect, despite his best efforts to keep her at a distance. Hope growing out from under hopelessness is about envisioning the kingdom of God, the world as it should be in the face of the world as it is. When this woman hopes after Jesus' refusal, the world as it should be comes into being, just for a moment. The woman of this gospel story had an impossible hope for her daughter to be healed, and in that impossible hope, she made manifest a world of connection across human boundaries, a kingdom that did not and could not exist before or without her hope. In hoping, she calls Jesus into connection and thus transformation, calls him into an understanding that more than we ever thought is possible when we join one another. She teaches God with skin on how to be a better person. This is the interpretation that I've landed on this summer, this interpretation that leans more heavily on Jesus' humanity than his divinity. But I've also been wondering how I got to hope from this very difficult gospel story. I never expected to land at hope after the emotionally draining and dispiriting summer that I had in the hospital. And yet in my own desperation and exhaustion and hopelessness, This story has haunted me, and somehow where the spirit has brought me to is hope. My hospital chaplaincy internship this summer was a part of the ministry formation process called CPE, or Clinical Pastoral Education. The idea behind CPE basically is that people learn best by doing, and so my colleagues and I as future clergy and other religious leaders were doing the work of caring for people in order to learn how to do the work of caring for people. Seems good, right? I was excited starting, Never mind the fact that everyone I have ever spoken to about CPE, your pastor at the top of that list, has said that it was the hardest three or four months of their training, and maybe their whole lives. I was excited anyway, and the first week went great. I was really getting along with the people who I was in a group with. I did some visits and I didn't ruin anyone's life, which is sometimes the standard for this kind of work. And I felt like I could do the work. I could help people. I was excited. And then I went up to visit one of my units that I had been assigned to for basically the first time. I was asked to be the chaplain for a burns and trauma ICU floor. And in all of my excitement about not ruining anyone's life yet in that first week, I was not prepared for what that would mean. Not what it means for the staff or the families or the patients. I wasn't even prepared to know what questions to ask the nurses about how to get into the rooms in the first place, let alone how to provide spiritual care to people in some of the most fear-filled moments of their lives. So here is a story from week two still in orientation and on my first round of visiting in this ICU, a story that has been de-identified to preserve the privacy of this patient and their family. I saw that the young woman in her 20s who had been paralyzed in a car accident the night before, the one whose chart I'd read that morning as I was preparing and praying over the day, she had family sitting at her bedside as she slept. I walked in, I introduced myself, and I asked if they would like a visit, exactly as I had been trained to do. And her mother agreed, and then told me immediately how absolutely impossible it would be for them to cope with this injury, if she even recovered. Financially, logistically, physically, with the limitations in their home, it was impossible. I sat in that room with her. I cried when she did. (coughs) I panicked over how very little I knew about how to be present with her. And in doing so, I was not all that present with her at all. (coughs) Excuse me. I tried to engage the young woman's best friend sitting across the bed from me and I utterly failed because I wanted to be able to fix their desperation by saying or doing the right thing. By giving them hope somehow, like hope was something that I could conjure up and hand across the clear divide that I was holding between us. And in the moment that I was trying to do this, I knew completely that I was floundering. That not only were they in an impossible place, but I was not helping. I felt hopeless and disconnected. And in the desperation of my hopelessness, I didn't think that I'd be able to do anything for them. And so I offered to pray, since that was how we had been taught to end a visit. And the woman's mother agreed, and the three of us stood around her bed as she slept. I started a prayer for healing and peace and comfort for her and those who loved her. And as I was in the middle of this, the young woman, woke up, and her eyes, wide open in a panic, settled on me as the stranger in the room. (coughs) Her mom explained that she didn't need to worry, that I was only the chaplain there to pray for her. Out of her sedated fog, she said, I go to sleep and suddenly you're trying to give me my effing last rites? except that she actually dropped the f-bomb and then promptly closed her eyes and fell right back to sleep. It was maybe the last thing that I expected to hear in that moment and I froze and panicked about responding until I heard her mother and her best friend laugh. I laughed with them out of the absurdity of it but also because what became clear to me in that moment was that in waking up and making that joke, she had shown a flash of her personality from before the accident, for the first time since she was hurt. It was a glimpse for them of the world as it should be, not the impossible world that was. It was a kingdom connection moment among the four of us. So I continued my prayer and thanksgiving with her loved ones for that breaking through of her personality from beneath the sedation and after we finished praying, the atmosphere in that room was completely different. Not because her health crisis or their financial situation was any less dire, but because seeing for a moment who she really was underneath the sedation and the tubes and the scary prognoses gave those who loved her the chance to let their hope for a new future together after the accident uproot the hopeless atmosphere that I had been holding in the room. Witnessing to this family's hope in an impossible moment changed the trajectory of my summer. I acted less like someone who was desperate to find the right things to say and do in order to fix people, and started trying to be someone who could sit, accompanying people where they were. I started to understand that that in itself, that connection and those kingdom moments, that was the best help that I could give in the midst of suffering. That sitting with others in their pain is the best help we can ever give for that kind of pain. It's at, the care, it's at the core of care for one another in community. I was a better chaplain for having known them and seen their hope. Just like I think that Jesus was, a better, was better in his ministry for having met this woman and seen her hope. Hope transforms us. It turns out that the flash of hope had changed this family, too. The woman didn't remember making the joke once she woke up fully from her sedation, but she delighted in telling her visitors about it anyway. When they visited the hospital almost two months later to give an update about her progress in rehab and how excited they were for her new chair to arrive, she and her mother told me that they had been telling everyone they met along the way the story of the chaplain and her effing last rites. I'm convinced that they did that, not because I did anything right, but because that moment during our prayer was a sign of moving towards their new and hoped for future. Hope transforms us. Hope transforms us and it breaks down the barriers between us and others, just as it did between Jesus and this gentile woman. Hope allows God's kingdom, the world as it ought to be, to become clear to us, just for a moment. Amen. And now, if you will rise in body or in spirit and join in singing number 517 from the New Century hymnal, I Need You Every Hour.